Hey now, welcome to Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next so you have enough time to watch it. If you enjoy Random Movie Club, you can help keep it going by supporting us on Patreon. Supporters get special benefits like exclusive bonus episodes, patron-only events, giveaways, and more. Show your support for Random Movie Club and The Geek Generation by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com support. On this episode, I'll be discussing Unbreakable with Silence Knight. Let's roll the film. Unbreakable was released in 2000 from director M. Night Shyamalan. Also written by Shyamalan, the film stars Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, and Robin Wright. Okay, you ready for the first big question? Uh, I suppose I'm ready for the first big question. How, bi- how big is your question? Is the, is the, it's question. the biggest question ever. <laughs> then d- dang it if I'm not ready for it. Let's do this. All right. Why did you choose this movie? Well, I chose this movie uh, in part because when I was growing up, I had an addiction to feeling like I was a superhero. Uh, it made me feel safe. It made me feel comfortable. And this movie really is like, in a basic sense, a movie about a normal person doing extraordinary things, right? So I, mm-hmm. I, I really related to that and thought it was very interesting. And it, it kind of brought me out of my shell, my little introverted shell when I was young. Uh, and on top of that, it just had some great, some great twists, some great uh, scenes, and and I was fascinated by it. It's just a great nerdy movie to me. Mm, I remember when I first saw it, it, it kind of blew me away because I didn't really think about it as being a superhero movie, but it's really just about like comic book mythology and how that's like our modern mythology and everything. And I love that about it. Interesting. I did really appreciate uh, sort of how they tied that in the the modern mythology, sort of sort of showing how comic books maybe harken back to just like any other great myths you know you hear about uh Mm -hmm. have some truth to them and i thought that was a really interesting way of framing it i was actually i was actually kind of blown away by that when i first heard it so as i always do i gathered a whole bunch of trivia from imdb uh which we can talk about because i love it uh the first thing is the scene where david's son tries to shoot him to prove he has superpowers is based on the popular urban legend that george reeves was once confronted by a child who asked to shoot him with a real gun while he was in his Superman costume. According to the legend, Reeves got the boy to put the gun down by convincing him it would ricochet and hurt someone else. That is interesting. I had no idea that was based on anything. I actually thought that was a really, I thought that was a really powerful scene. And I was, I was kind of, it was a very tense scene, uh, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's even more intense now that I know it was based on something that actually happened. Oh, that is incredible. Wow. But that's a great, that's quick thinking, right? That's put it into sort of terms that, I, that, that a little kid can understand. Hey, I may be a superhero, but it might hurt somebody if you shoot right, me. Right, right. He could even invent an in character for that. Like, you know what happens when you shoot Superman. <laughs> With the, the typical like 80s superhero voice or maybe yeah. even like 50s. You know what will happen here? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Charlene Woodard, who plays the mother to Samuel L. Jackson's character, is actually almost a full five years younger than her on-screen son. That is interesting. She, she, uh, we'll get to her in a little bit, but that is yeah. that's very interesting. 
In the scene where David looks back at the drug dealer played by M. Night Shyamalan and catches the character furtively staring back, the movie makes use of the scary shiny glasses trope. This trope is commonly used in Japanese manga and anime to indicate the sinister intentions of a villain. Hmm, I was not aware of that trope, but that makes sense. I was not either. I'm not a big anime guy, but I didn't even notice it in the movie to be like that prominent of an effect. Well, you know, everyone has their flaws, just like he can't handle water. You know, I, hey, <laughs> you, you don't like anime, I understand. You know, we all, all superheroes have their flaws. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Uh, Julianne Moore was offered the part of Audrey Dunn, but turned it down to work on Hannibal. Mm, On Hannibal. Mm, Good choice. Bad choice. Thoughts. I haven't seen Hannibal, actually. So, okay. I have. I I think I would always say that turning down this movie was a bad choice. (laughs) I I think, you know, the the bias in me wants to say it's a wants to say it's a poor choice, but I'm not necessarily, you know, speaking dollars and cents. I'm not so certain that was a bad choice. The first comic that Elijah receives is an issue of Active Comics. The logo is deliberately reminiscent of the original logo of Action Comics, the series that introduced Superman. Mm Mm-hmm. I am aware of that. A lot of nods to different comic book things throughout the movie, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Unlike most movies that are shot in different chronological order from the script, Unbreakable was shot in sequence. Was shot completely in sequence? completely in sequence that is i mean they, fascinating. they some of the places where they cut back and forth between different scenes that are going on concurrently obviously they'd have to film one and then the other but everything else was shot in sequence that's fascinating you're so i'm so familiar with the concept of shooting things in in their discrete piece parts and then you mm-hmm. know and then obviously gluing them together for for, for effect you know and it, it's more efficient obviously in a in a budgetary sense but that's interesting they shot it was there any do you know if there's any reason for that or just a choice by the director not that I'm aware of. Yeah, as far as I know, it's just a choice. Interesting, interesting. Some yeah. logical consistency there. As an actor, I don't know if that makes things easier, makes things harder, but that's interesting. One would think it would help with the performance if you're going through the same progression as your character, because I imagine it's a little disorienting to shoot out of order all the time. I would think that's kind of what I was thinking. I was thinking if if you're sort of going through this uh, progression of the movie and you're jumping around and in one scene you're supposed to be, you know, happy and the next scene you're devastated and you're just, you know, up and down, up and down. I could see where that might be a little draining. It might not you might not get the same effect as if you just took it, you know, from logical start to finish and Mm -hmm. kind of rode the emotional roller coaster that the movie is supposed to portray. It's more natural. It's yeah, it's more natural progression. I could see that being very beneficial. That's interesting to me. I, I wasn't aware of that. That's cool. Yeah, I don't think there are too many movies that actually do that. No, no, not that I'm, I don't know any. That was the first time I've heard that. Speaking of the way it was shot, the film is shot as a series of long tracking shots, often with stark shadows or unusual camera angles to mimic the storyboard flow of a comic book. Mm, I like that. There's one scene in particular that makes me think of that where they're in Elijah's office, like the first time they're in limited edition and uh, David and Joseph are sitting across from him and you watch the camera pan to look uh, at elijah and then you watch it pan back that's like a comic panel going back and forth very much so that's i did not notice that but that's a great way to great way to frame it so it's very much like the switching scenes or the switching panels of a comic book oh that's mm-hmm. great there were so many things about this movie that kind of you know tied back into its comic book roots which i thought were were interesting so that's that's really cool that's really cool yeah, i didn't notice that i'm one. sure i'm sure some of the many interesting shots in this movie will come up as we're talking about it because there are so many. Absol- absolutely. Osteogenesis imperfecta is a real but rare disease. I did know that. In fact, I, I believe it was recently in life I, I looked up that disease. I thought it was interesting. I think it was probably my 
hundredth watch through of the movie. <laughs> I I was like, you know, is that a real disease? And of sure enough, you you know, Wikipedia saves the day. It's it's a real disease, and uh, but again, very rare, very rare. So. Yeah, super wild. Most I would say most people don't last with that disease. Uh, I be- yeah, I believe it's not a very. It's one of those diseases where it would be weird if you lasted more than a, a year or two. Kind of kind of. I thing. imagine you get to be like the the kid in the bubble type thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The scene at the stadium of which David Dunn brushes past a mother and child and senses child abuse just before he confronts the drug dealer is believed to be Kevin Crumb and his mother from the movie Split. Is that just speculation? Is there some hard evidence there? I don't know how hard evidence it is. I think it, it at least started as fan speculation when Split came out, and we'll be talking about Split very soon. But yeah. I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious if there was some foresight into that or if this is just a retroactive you know fangasm we're sort of having over mm. this uh, this topic and, and looking back and looking for the clues you know putting the pieces together of the puzzle uh but that's interesting uh, you know it that, I, i'm all for it you know what give me that give me that headcanon i'm down for more mysteries and tie-ins well even though it's not in the trivia here the character from split was supposed to be a part of this movie and was taken out and made into a separate movie all those years later. So it's possible that that was the case. That, okay, that would make more sense then if, if he was in fact due to be in the movie and then removed at the last minute. I could see how the tie-in would still exist, you know, the leftover mm. pieces of it. That's, in, okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Uh, Elijah Price's distinctive hairstyle was based on the Civil War era activist Frederick Douglass, whose name coincidentally contains the word glass. Ah, nice, nice. Yeah, I. You know what? I did recognize the hairstyle actually. It is it maybe not until I was older, but it very much stands <laughs> out, and so it's very, yeah. it's a very iconic hairdo. So it's very Frederick Douglass. When Elijah's mother gives her son his first comic book, she mentions that it is a good one with a surprise ending. Her quote foreshadows the plot of the movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's that was that's a pretty pretty obvious one once you go back in time and 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 sort of watch oh, it again. totally there's always those foreshadowing moments that get you and you go i should have seen it I, it was there all along <laughs> there's so many things in this movie that i feel like i should have seen and i feel like a bad movie watcher for not having caught on <laughs> you know what it's funny it it's funny it, and i and i actually really appreciated uh sitting down and watching this movie one more time to think about some of the, the things you know i may have glossed over or glassed over uh hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob will never invite me back. <laughs> are you kidding? Puns are always welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was very interesting to go back through and and sort of pay a little more attention to detail. You see, you see sort of these things that you miss the first time, and you go, "Oh, there it was in front of my face the whole time." Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's awesome. Last thing in the trivia here, as in comic books, the main characters have their identified color schemes. David is green, and Elijah is purple. They show up in their clothes, the wallpaper and bedsheets in their houses, Elijah's note to David, and various personal items, among other things. Very noticeable. I actually have some notes on color that we can talk about in a little bit. Um, Sweet. But yes, very noticeable on the colors. And if you're up for it, I have one piece of trivia for you. Totally. I'm going to pull this out on you. So uh, so in the intro, where the talking about the comic books when they're talking about the comic books and sort of, you know, how many comic books are read a day, you know, the prices and stuff. They mentioned that the comics uh, usually comics are about, you know, can go for anywhere from one dollar to one hundred and forty thousand. But mm-hmm. in fact, Action Comics number one sold for three point two million dollars mm-hmm. uh, a few years back, it, which it was an, initially a 10 cent 
uh, issues. So, you know, kids, save your Beanie Babies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't but, remember the last person to buy it, but I know at one point Nicolas Cage owned that. Well, is is that right? I, I'm I'm wondering that. I guess you know it's just set up for some kind of like ostentatious uh, nerd display to be the king yeah. of all nerds to have something like that. Because obviously you you never take it out and ruin you know ruin its pristine condition. But I, I think that's that's crazy that it sells for that much. It just tells you like. Us nerds and our collectibles, man. We love them. We love them. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So yeah, it was. It went up to one hundred forty thousand. I was like, that doesn't seem right. And I went off, and I was like, you know, okay, <laughs> Action Comics number one, Superman. Okay, there we go. Yeah, they go in way the millions higher. of dollars. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the movie itself. Uh, first thing is we kind of referenced there just the the myriad of interesting shots that we see in this movie, and the first thing we kind of see after that little like text intro is an image reflected by a large mirror even though we don't even realize it's a mirror right away which means that the first thing that we're seeing in the entire movie is a piece of glass i actually did not even put that together that's incredible so there it is the foreshadowing the glass it's here one of the reasons that i love doing this show so much is because like you i've watched this movie so many times and i never analyzed it the way that i did on my most recent viewing because I was looking for every little thing and I I couldn't believe I didn't notice that before. I completely missed it even on this watch through. I think it's probably because I was uh, at the beginning kind of scrubbing to get in there to, to get to watch the, the meat of the movie. I didn't even mm. didn't even see that happen in, in register. I wasn't I wasn't there. That's that's incredible. So the first thing we do we know is, hey, glass, we're here. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, it's an awesome reference to to where the movie's going. And then the first shot that we see of David on the train. He's leaning his head against the window. Glass. Another piece of glass. <sighs> this comes in through the movie many more times, actually. I, that's, you know what? It's all coming together for me now. I'm, I'm, I'm putting the pieces together. I'm, the conspiracy series <laughs> theory is forming for me. I see it now. It was glass all along. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> on, that's the, uh, on the train. And again, more cool shots. Uh, we get like the back and forth perspective of david and the sports agent kind of like the kid watching through the seats as they're having their conversation i thought that was a fantastic way they shot the, the perspective yeah. and you weren't even at least i wasn't aware at first that it was the little girl's perspective but as it as it leaves that conversation and transitions into uh you know his feelings about the conversation you see sort of him focus on what's in front of him and that you could tell then that it's the little girl's face doing the shot i thought that was a very fascinating shot Mm. definitely throughout the movie they really really hit some of those interesting shots i love the way they film it another one they did um was when the boss was talking about the rays they did the scene where he's standing at his locker with his locker open with another piece of glass a mirror mm -hmm. sitting right there in the locker yeah. and you hear the boss's voice uh, or i don't know if you hear the boss's voice before you see him i think i think so i think uh, you do and so he because he first references him he says noel and uh and he starts talking and then he closes the locker to reveal the boss i thought that was an mm -hmm. interesting shot as well and that's another very like comic book type thing like obscuring something with a part of the drawing and then kind of removing it to show what's behind it exactly oh so good so um, good the conversation he has with the sports agent i found super awkward as we're probably supposed to and there's a lot of those moments in this movie but I thought it was even more awkward when she like jumped to the conclusion of, oh, this guy is clearly hitting on me. I need to like move seats. So I actually think that's interesting. Um, so the, the, I, I called it the flirtation scene at the beginning. Uh, it's awkward, but what I think 
I what I think it does in the long run for the movie is it introduces us to this idea that there's something wrong with his life. There's something mm. out of place or missing. And so we're, you know, with the marital issues, uh, that's your first injection into, okay, something's off in his life. Something's not right. And that carries for a while, actually. A couple of things, you know, come up with his relationship. And it actually it actually jumps right into sort of like my thoughts about the colors of the movie. Mm. Um, if you're, if you're cl- ready to get Go into ahead. that. No, yeah. Please. So, okay. So please. what I, what I found was that starting with that shot and carrying out through the most of the beginning of the movie, there was this sense of like normalcy. There was dull colors. There was a very like very tepid narrative atmosphere, right? So mm-hmm. everything there was just very bland. It was even his, even his, uh, personality, right? So, uh, his personality is very tepid. Like he's very after the, after the crash, he's very unfazed. He seems very dull about the events that yeah. just happened. Now, could that have been shock? Sure, but probably not. It's probably more so his detachment from reality, sort of the awkwardness of his life, if you will. And I thought that was really interesting. So they convey this sort of very tepid atmosphere where everything is very dull and very slow. Just the whole narrative atmosphere is just down. And I thought it was really cool because the first bright color that I noticed in the movie is the letter from Mr. Glass under his windshield. Mm. It is a, under, when he flips the envelope open, there is a very distinct bright purple color on the envelope. Yes. And that's the first bright color you see in the movie. And so then, during the movie, the scenes where color shows up, where does it show up? Because after he goes to see Mr. Glass and sort of dismisses him, colors sort of dry out again. And he moves away from that scene. There's not a lot of bright colors happening. Interesting. But... They do, in fact, come back some more during certain scenes. The weight scene, in the weight scene where he's uh, lifting more weights than he should be able to. The shirt of his son is a bright red. The weight clasps are a bright red. Even his facial color finally started getting color. There's a bright red to even a normal skin tone to him. So there, the date with his wife after things were feeling a little better. Yep. And then also uh, his wife actually regained some color after the conversation they finally had with each other about his sickness. So there were these moments where as things were sort of becoming as they should be, if you will, sort of returning back to um, giving him some sort of like purpose or meaning, the color started showing up all around him. Every time he used his powers, there were bright colors, the colors of the shirts of the criminals, other things in the scene. Every time he was using his abilities, bright bold colors that you saw nowhere else in the movie were were appearing almost as if him using his powers brought color back to his life was kind of my thoughts there yeah yeah we we get visual saturation as his life is becoming more full exactly it was the it was the fulfillment of of his life um that i think was sort of bringing back the colors in, in a physical sense to us absolutely yeah and i love that oh, but it's such absolutely. a it's such a subtle thing and and the movie as a whole does feel very muted in tone. But yeah, that's that's a key part of it for sure. Yeah, that's and that's, I think, uh, one thing I had a, a small thought about the relationship with his wife. You know, you could see that they were having issues you saw on the train with the quote unquote flirtation scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they were leaving after the traumatic event of the crash, you saw that they started to hold hands for the kid's sake and then they let go of each other's hands. Right. And I think that oftentimes most oftentimes you see a lot of relationships portrayed in this sense that, or even in real life, that, that there's something missing. And, and that's usually between the two people. That's between the couple themselves. They have problems with each other. They're not being fulfilled by each other. But in this movie, the lack of fulfillment with that was actually with himself. And I thought that was mm-hmm. really cool to portray that as soon as he was becoming fulfilled with who he was as a person, everything else regained its color, including his relationship with his wife, which we see near the end. 
Yeah, yeah, because for yeah, he wasn't able to be the person that she wanted for so much of the movie and be present in the relationship because, like he said, he woke up with a sadness every morning and he didn't know what the cause of that was. And it wasn't until he filled that that he was like, okay, I'm whole, I'm me again. Now I can be with somebody else. Exactly, exactly. Uh, So jumping back to the hospital after the train accident, we get another wonderfully framed shot. I love this one uh, where there's the body in the foreground and he's being attended to in the background and it's slightly out of focus in the foreground. You just see it like start to convulse and then bleed out right as he finds out he's the sole survivor. That's incredibly powerful. I will I will second you on that. In fact, I will just go ahead and, and say how powerful that scene is. That scene has stuck with me for so long. I always remember that scene when I think back to this movie. It's mm. such a powerful shot, uh, but the the juxtaposition of him being okay, sort of out of it, and then the breathing foreground of a body that eventually starts to bleed out, and you really yeah. sort of grasp the uh, the seriousness, the severity of the crash, and and he yet has a scratch on him, and now you're understanding sort of the uh, the doctor's fascination with all the questions because he's sort of dismissive, you know. To him, he's he's detached. It's dull. Everything's dull. Even the crash is kind of dull. He's like whatever. Yep. Um, but the doctor is fascinated with him and asking these questions and persisting. Like I need to know where you were on the train. I need to know, sir. You have nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Next, we get the note that you referenced earlier, uh, asking how many days in his life he's been sick, to which he kind of gets the seed planted. He checks with his boss. He asks his wife. And then we get the the first Elijah flashback. And the first shot we see is Elijah reflected in a TV screen, another piece of glass. Oh, there it is again. It keeps happening. Is it okay to correct the host here? Because the first shot we see is actually him you're skipping over one of my favorite favorite scenes which is the cold o- the cold opening scene where oh okay uh, sure yeah you you sort of get this air of mystery and wonder like what's happening it's when it, it actually you, you can't skip it because it introduces two of my favorite characters from the whole movie the doctor and the mom i the love their acting is this doctor, great. he's incredible the guy did a great job his facial expressions stun me every so time good. he's, he's so, so good, good. yeah oh, oh and it's yes. a it's a crime that he's in it for that little it is it is is an injustice i'm telling yeah. you he's gotta he's gotta make a comeback sometime i want to see I him know in the new i've movie. seen him in other things and i can't place he, his face so he is in um lord of war and he is also in tears of the sun and oz those are the major things okay. i could find him in because i did look him up because obviously I, I i loved his his small performance but i was it's i was so blown good. away with it it's so good so good he doesn't have any major roles i guess is why you it's probably hard to place him i, I couldn't find any major roles he was in but he did have some small parts okay Uh, Another great shot. We get the rotation of the camera along with the comic as Elijah's turning it in his lap. Love that. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's just, again, more, more lovely shots from this movie. Yeah, he, he like he really stretched the like director muscles here and the cinematography muscles and just thought outside the box, which was super appreciated. And I think and I think he did that because he wanted to portray this as sort of a comic book. You know, if, mm-hmm. if, if you think about this as a comic book, how can you portray this so that it has a, a distinct personality from every other movie you've seen? Right. Totally. If everything else is supposed to be just a movie and this is supposed to be a comic book portrayed as a movie, how can you best uh, represent that? And I think he did a good job. Yep. Uh, We go to limited edition from there. This is the first time we see adult Elijah once again reflected in glass. This time it's the glass covering that sketch of the comic book cover. 
Yep. This oh, the where he was doing the sales of yeah, the comic to, oh. for the one who wanted to buy it for his four year old for oh, some reason for his for his four year old. Yes, exactly. And he took offense to that. He took offense to that. And, Rightfully and, so. And so I, this this brings up a good point because it's at this point. Well, maybe not exactly at this point, but I would say definitely at this point where you start to notice a little bit of a, a psychological ambiguity with with Elijah. You don't you don't know really what what's his motive, what's his purpose, what's going mm. on with him. But you see you see him starting to bleed into the story, and all of a sudden he's a little cranky about what's going on here. He's got a little mm-hmm. bit of an anger issue about how serious he takes his comics, which you know can be an understandable thing for some people. You know, it's something he he respects and he doesn't want to see it uh, done a disservice. But you start to question, okay, so how is this interesting character going to fit into the, the narrative we're being told here? What's, yeah. you know, what's going on? Uh, David goes to meet him and Elijah reveals his condition to him, suggests that maybe there's someone on the other side of the spectrum kind of, setting up the entire movie for us uh, <laughs> part of david you feel wants it to be true even though he's denying it because i don't think he would have like as he's leaving elijah asks him what he does and where he works and at that point a normal person that was like you're crazy leave us alone would not have told him that information and i feel like answering that question is david's way of being like i don't believe this but part of me really wants to Part of him really wants to. I think that he's skeptical, but he needs something. And I think deep down he knows he needs something, right? We talked about this, this sort of mm-hmm. unfulfillment, the the lack of color in his life. And I think that deep down, that's his fascination with being sick. That's why he took it so serious. That's why he spoke to his wife for the first time in a while. In, in the, that was the most serious conversation we had seen them have to date. And you could only assume that's probably how things normally are. They don't really talk to each other. They're very quick. They have yeah. short, short bursts of conversation. Only the practical, logical amounts of conversation. Nothing more, nothing less. And the question of how many sick days has he had was the first real conversation you saw between them. Because I believe... That's the first injection of of energy he's had in a while. And he, mm. he has this thing to be fascinated about, like maybe maybe there is something wrong or maybe there is something different or, you know, anything to give me a little bit of color in my life. So um, maybe there's more to this life than where I currently am. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what he desperately needs right now, because he's le- he's left with this sense of unfulfillment in his life. So he Don't needs something. <laughs> oh, yeah. I tell you, it's more relatable than, you know, right. So yeah. we, we all need that. Who, who doesn't want to be a superhero? Right. Uh, back at home, his wife approaches him and uh, sets up the biggest emotional trap I've ever seen. I need to ask you something and the answer won't affect me either way, <laughs> which she repeats over and over. Won't affect me either way. You know, that's my that's my favorite part, because the moment she gets repetitive with it, you go, that means it will absolutely 100 <laughs> percent affect you. I am sure of it at this moment because you yep. said it 20 times. And of course, she immediately starts crying when he answers the question the way that she was hoping the way that she was. She was absolutely hoping that. Yeah. Um, and and in her tears further the uh, idea that she would not have been okay with the other answer she was very relieved physically to the point where she just had to cry immediately so Mm. and i feel like robin wright again another one who didn't have a huge huge part in this movie but she nailed it didn't have a huge part the the problem i think was um that we were so focused on the the narrative of the comic but Mm -hmm. you know also the muted tone really kind of takes you away from the other characters it's it's hard to focus on what's what's happening aside from the main story plot uh because of how muted everything is until the end you know when he sees him carry her that everything's just muted yeah so it 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 makes sense (laughs) the stadium 
uh, Elijah shows up and questions David about why he got into security. David bumps into a guy with a camouflage jacket, gets kind of the first vibe that we see in the movie. Warns another guard, Elijah picks up on it, and the guy sees the pat-downs, and he steps out of line. Then he admits to Elijah that he got an image of a silver gun with a black grip in his head. Mm, yes. So I was interested about that that power, you know, that's kind of it's like a like a foresight or a mm. it was it was very interesting to me because usually, you know, when I was younger, I think I'm not sure exactly the age that I first watched this movie, but when I thought of superheroes, most of the time, and I know this isn't the case, but most of the time I always related superheroes to just super strength, you know, super mm-hmm. superpowers that were very physically represented, but this was sort of like a foresight that was was given to him just with the gentlest of nudges and uh I thought that was interesting. I like the idea that they kind of write it off to just being like instinct and vibes. And even though he has some very clear visions and they get stronger as the movie progresses, it's it's chalked up to, oh, people have instincts. Well, I think that that's um, that just goes back in line with sort of the the concept of of all comic books are based on a stretch of of what's actually happened. And Mm -hmm. so. Everything that he has as a power, the, the strength, the, the instincts are all just heightened human natural tendencies or natural abilities. So, so it kind of fits in line with that, right? Like everything is just a stretch of the truth, you know? So even a superhero is just enhanced version of a, of a human, not necessarily this, you know, crazy off the wall character, just, you know, at one end of the spectrum, as, as Mr. Glass says. Uh, we get another great composition where the camera's slowly pulling away while they're standing in, in the stadium doorway. So you see them slowly like illuminated from the back. They're right in the center of the screen. All the perspective lines are pointing towards them. I love that shot. That, so well that, done. that shot is, I, what else can you say? That shot is fantastic. It's just, again, another case of just great, great uh, direction in this movie with the, with the shots. The cinematography mm. was off the charts. <laughs> Elijah sees the guy in the camo jacket and pursues him but slips and falls down the flight of stairs. He does manage to get a look at the gun, though, which is silver with a black handle. That is a... Every time it's hard to watch that scene. That's exactly what I was just thinking. It's one of the hardest scenes to watch. Just the physical pain of him falling down the stairs gets me every time. I cringe when I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, there's another bone. Oh, gosh, that's I don't even know what bone that was, you know, even rewatching and knowing he is who he is. It's still hard to see someone go through that. It's hard to see that physical, the physical pain represented on screen. Absolutely. Yeah. And the noises that they threw into it. Oh, my God. Oh, it gets you every time. I'm shit. Stop. (laughs) Stop talking about it. I'm shivering over here. Exactly. Uh, Joseph asks David to play football with his friends and his friend's cousin, who's the same football player that was referenced earlier by the sports agent. Mm, I did put those connections together, but my my question to you would be, do do you think he could have beat him in football? I think you could beat him in football. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> I was kind of kind of wishing he had he had gone through with it. I, w- I wish there had been like a deleted scene somewhere where he just completely kicks his butt on the field or something <laughs> like that, and all the kids are like celebrating with him or something. Yeah, yeah. From here, we go into arguably my favorite bit of the movie, working out in the basement, which is just so good in so many ways. Tell the truth. Is it because, you you know, deep down, we all wish we could just suddenly bench more weight than we actually can? Because that's what I was thinking about. (laughs) That's a part of it. The whole time I'm thinking, man, if I could just put more weights on suddenly just because. This part, too, has the most. There are parts in this, even though it's very downplayed. 
they're the funniest parts in the movie. And I laugh out loud every time at like two particular things in this. One of which is when Joseph is talking to him and he's like, do you think you could have beaten up Bruce Lee? But then he progresses it and he's like, what if he wasn't allowed to kick and you were really mad at him? I'm like, that line kills me. It's such a good line. It's so funny. He did a good job too. The, the, uh, the child actor, he had yeah. a lot of, uh, a lot of good, good emotional scenes with his facial expressions and sort of getting into it. I thought he did a good job. Yeah. Uh, Joseph secretly adds the weight and David keeps lifting. They keep adding more weight, keep lifting. And then the other part that really kills me is when at one point David's like, don't ever try something like this. You know how dangerous this is. And it cuts to Joseph and he's hiding in a closet. (laughs) Yes. I love it because he starts off a little bit further away, like when he gets a lot of weight on there. And it's such like a Looney Tunes cut where you cut to him and he's just like peeking out from yeah. behind a door. <laughs> Suddenly he's a hundred yards away behind like a yeah. bomb shelter. Yes. Oh, I love it. It's so it's good. So good. Oh, so that's, good. That's I love that scene. And that's where you get like the really great swells of his theme song and like oh. the hero rising and everything. The hero rising theme song that they had, it, you know, they, they play it at the end too, but it. Yeah, oh, it's great. It's perfect. It's perfect mm. for the movie. And it, it really fits the uh, mood of that scene where he's sort of like realizing some some okay so maybe some of this is true here it's maybe it's not just instinct maybe it's not just uh speculation i i i can see it now i'm i just lifted a crap ton away you know yeah. like so i thought i thought that was it was a good time for that music to really push in like okay i'm becoming the hero i'm supposed to be oh, oh. yeah gives oh, me yeah. chills oh yeah <laughs> we went from the chills of falling downstairs to the chills of <laughs> benching much much better chills much better yeah. chills weight room chills uh, we go to physical therapy with Elijah. He's given a list of all of his broken bones, and we next see him with Audrey at physical therapy. He figures out she's married to David just based on the story about the car crash that she tells. And now Elijah's starting to suspect that maybe he faked the accident so they could be together. Mm, yes, yeah. It was it. It was interesting to the the faking of the accident. I I thought that was a cool scene. Actually, I know that's a little later, but I I did think that was a cool scene where you saw him make sort of that, you know, that hard choice that we all have to make. Right? Mm-hmm. He could have pursued something, or does he want to take the chance right here to pursue the the life he thinks he wants? And I thought that was a it was really a a, a nice emotional scene for the movie um, to kind of explain why he made that that choice to fake an injury because it, it didn't make you know faking an injury is not something usually you do right. unless you know you want to get out of something, but. I think he did it for for. It's a very real reason, very real life reason that we can all like relate to, right? Like this is somebody that I may not get to be with if I don't do this. So now's my chance. Like, and he and he takes it, and it shows how much their relationship has changed because he gave up something that he really loves for something that he loved even more, and now you look at where they are. Do you think that that contributed to why he fell away? So playing sports, maybe, you know, it's not a superhero role, but it's Mm -hmm. a more physical, it's a more fulfilling role. If you think about, you know, his powers being strength and and things like that, Uh, maybe that was why it was easier to be in a relationship and be sort of normal in his life at that point, because he was expressing it in other ways with his strength and his abilities and maybe his instinct on the football field. And then after making that choice, he started to do more and more normal adult things, which don't take many superpowers to do, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, because sometimes it feels like doing taxes takes, you know, some kind of special power. But uh, well, yeah, it feels like it's like a denying of oneself. And as soon as he started denying, it's when things started slipping away. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Meanwhile, David's catching flashes of the crimes happening from the people at the stadium kind of bumping into him there. 
Mm. So we're getting we're getting a few stronger vibes from him at this point. Still not to the level that he'll be at, but it's getting stronger. Yeah, and to and to uh, you know circle back to what I said before. At this point in the movie, um, starting with the weightlifting scene, you know, and the hero rising music, it's all coming together. The color is again starting to show up more and more frequently. The mm-hmm. dull atmosphere uh, is starting to warm up. We've we've gone from tepid to lukewarm we're starting to get slightly towards warm with the colors you know the atmosphere never completely changes but you do start to see very bold changes in the color schemes which i color is like one of the first things i notice in the movie every time i always catch it in cinematography because it's so noticeable to me that just the the contrast of colors and how they use that to portray emotions Mm -hmm. or to portray uh sort of a a sort of subplot that's happening or, or an assistant plot and when he gets those vibes to the uh, perpetrators or whatever crime he's witnessing, you generally have some sort of flash of color on them, whether it be a shirt or a jacket or almost every one of them, I believe, with the orange with the convict, mm-hmm. the blue with the drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe there were a couple other ones, but every Someone single else has one has a yes. red one. There's a woman in the uh, Penn Station later that has a red jacket on. Yes, they yeah. all are wearing a very bright outfit, which is, again, him using his ability brings out color, right? So mm-hmm. that's, you know, an interesting way to look at it. And I, I think that's absolutely represented when he's using his powers. Color is there. That's what he's doing. That's what he's supposed to be doing. Yep. We get one of the uh, other really emotional scenes in the movie coming up next, which is the scene in the kitchen where Joseph has the gun and he's threatening to shoot David, proving that what elijah says is actually true and there there are a couple of great lines in here too uh joseph being like i'll just shoot him once <laughs> <laughs> like that's the compromise yeah, just one bullet you know just yeah. you know I'll, I'll aim for maybe just a below the lung right like i won't i, I will just you know compromising on the shot yeah one of the things i love about this scene so much not just how tense it is but how well bruce willis goes through like this huge myriad of emotions and ways that he's trying to talk joseph down like he goes from we're friends friends don't shoot each other do they audrey and then he starts screaming he's like i'm gonna leave like he immediately goes to mad from being his buddy he's just trying everything he's trying every he's going through the full gambit of emotions trying to stop him which you know it makes sense he's being Mm. desperate with it i thought she had i i loved how that little part got me too but not for the reasons you said it's when he said friends don't shoot friends and that was the when he's right audrey and the mom's like right joseph friends don't shoot friends she was was very like a panicked like i don't know it makes me chuckle for some reason just the quick like yeah 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 oh absolutely like yeah like fake little like quickly yeah (laughs) i thought it was great great scene uh we go back to limited edition after that david tells elijah to stay away from him and his family because of what joseph almost did he also tells him that he almost drowned as a kid which the principal of joseph's school had told him he didn't remember it for whatever reason but it's kind of like the the weakness has revealed itself his kryptonite so to speak yes which uh oddly enough an m night Shyamalan movie where water is a weakness oh that is I've never seen that before. Does that happen? No, that's that's completely new, innovative topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Never seen it. Never seen <laughs> never it. Never happened in any of <laughs> Never happened before. in any of his other just doesn't like staying hydrated, I guess. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I guess not. Uh we get the date after that, and he admits to her that things started going wrong when he had a nightmare and he didn't wake her up so she could say that everything was all right, which is another kind of great foreshadowing moment that we'll circle around back on later. I think that's a relatable 
you know, to, to relationships in general, you always think about like, sometimes they're portrayed as this big thing happened. Right. But Mm -hmm. sometimes it's the little things. And I think it's true to life. You know, when did I stop loving you or when did I stop liking you? And it's always some little thing like that. Like Mm -hmm. the the time I woke up and didn't, you know, I I think, I think it's, it's always little stuff like that. It it made him feel more real to me when he said that, like I, I I very much identified with that comment he made. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very relatable the movie does a good job at that. Like it, it does a good job at, at being relatable. And again, I think it's, it, it does a good job in general of making this extraordinary thing seem just a hair off from reality mm-hmm. so that you can relate to it and you can say, okay, I see how he's just slightly a hero. Okay. That's, that's what a superhero is. He's just an enhanced version yeah. of what's actually there. And I, they did a good job with that. They did a yep. good job with that. Uh, a message on the answering machine from Elijah suggests that water is David's weakness. After he told him that he kind of, suggested that that was possible uh we see david's memory then of the car accident and that he in fact was not injured as he claims so we have our confirmation there's the confirmation then david calls elijah and admits he was never injured and asks him what to do Uh, now he wants guidance tells him to go to penn station which he does and the people start to bump into him we start to see those bigger flashes of vibes the ones we were just talking about the the woman stealing the jewelry and then the big one is the uh the convict who I believe it was a janitor, and then I believe that was what he was supposed to. It was hard to or tell, mechanic, but something it like that. seemed like he was pushing a trash can. So you would believe maybe he was the janitor for the yeah. building. That was my it, assumption. I think that's a safe assumption. Uh, so he follows that guy home, finds the homeowner dead inside, rescues two kids that he finds alone, and goes to find a woman tied up upstairs. But when he goes to rescue her, the uh, intruder pushes him out a window into the pool, which is a frightening scene not only knowing because this is his weakness but also just thinking about being underwater wrapped in something that you can't escape from the the pool cover that's terrifying yeah i would say a normal person could drown for that it's a very frightening scene yeah and you know sort of the darkness and the water all around you with like plastic oh my gosh i can't imagine it was it was definitely an anxious scene for me as well watching that Mm. uh, play it play out i thought i thought the uh i thought the the criminal there was was creepy not not necessarily um uh, in the later scenes but the uh in the beginning scene where they show the fly when w- the flash from when he touches him and he's like his can i come in statement to the guy uh, mm. at the door if you remember absolutely and just forces his way in yeah oh that 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 was really creepy it's like i really like your house yeah exactly oh. i really like your house and just that was that one got me when i was younger i was like yeah. oh this guy's creepy oh yeah it makes your skin crawl exactly it's a skin crawling moment for sure so we see this this is a thing we see in superhero movies kind of a lot especially in like spider-man movies the people who are cheering him on or that he saves kind of rallying to protect him as well so we get that a little bit here with the two kids that he saved previously reaching in with the uh the pool stick and pulling him out of the pool and rescuing him now yep that was uh probably a little expected for me i was like how's he gonna get out and i was like well Mm -hmm. no one's gonna and then it's like i bet the kids he just saved you know came to come to get him and sure enough they help him out but that you're right that that does that is a theme we see uh you know the this the save become the savior it's probably one of those tropes somewhere you know yeah i'm sure it has a name for it but yes we've seen that before yeah, uh, Spider Man. I think is that what you said? Yeah, Spider Man. Uh, there's a part where they like carry him, and they they always like fight and rally behind him and stuff. Is, His city is it the scene him. with the the uh, when they're in the train and they like carry him 
Spider-Man yeah. Two, and they kind of pass him over. They their pass him, heads and then and they, stuff. he didn't have his mask on. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. I remember that scene. But they that's got his one. back. Like that's they, the exactly, part. exactly. Uh, he goes upstairs and now uh, chokes out the intruder and rescues the woman. I've seen some people describe this as him like snapping the guy's neck. I didn't get that impression at all. I just felt like he choked him out based on the hold that he had on him. It was definitely a a, a hold. I, I can't see any part of that scene, which makes me think he snapped his neck. It yeah, I don't think he definitely seemed like a choke. So I got to agree with you. No, no, I don't think it was a kill either. I mean, unless he held it way too long, but I'm pretty yeah. sure he just kind of knocked him out. Yeah. And had him get arrested or something afterwards. Yeah. And I don't think the woman was dead either, even though she like fell down. She probably passed out. I, w- I wondered about that. I was I wasn't sure if she was dead or if she was just yeah if some, some she was just out out of it like completely. I felt like she was unconscious catatonic. and that was just holding her up until she was untied. It's very pot. They didn't make it clear. They didn't make it clear. Yeah. And and so I I think the first time I watched it, I assumed she was dead mm-hmm. based on his reaction, uh, the way he his body language when she mm-hmm. fell over s- signaled to me that she was dead. But then watching it later, I, su- I I thought about it and I was like, well, maybe maybe she's not actually dead. He's just, you know, it's more of like this is the gravity of the situation kind yeah. of thing. If she was dead, that's even weirder for him to be like standing over her and like spitting the water at her and stuff and. Oh, gosh. Which yeah. was also super creepy. That was super creepy. But, yeah, maybe he was trying to wake her up or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. With the, that's what I was thinking. It's very possible. So we go back home. We see immediately his wife being carried up the stairs, which is a really interesting shot because not only are we barely seeing him, she looks super rigid. She's very rigid because... Well I, well, I assume you have to be. If you've ever carried somebody, it's like if, if they're floppy, it's so hard to carry them. Yeah. It's like carrying a bowl of spaghetti. But if they're rigid, it's easy to carry. It's almost like she's floating. And I don't know if that's on purpose or that's just a circumstance of what they were doing. I was going to say it's the way they shot it and it had to look that way. But the the moment you said that. It may have been a design choice. Maybe they wanted it to look like he was having zero effort. Like he could hold mm. her in such a rigid state without any effort because he was so strong. He could yeah. just physically make her feel like she was floating. There's no give at all to his strength. Like he's fully activated now. <laughs> <laughs> fully activated. I like the way I you worded fully that. fully activated. <laughs> Superhero. Superhero mode on. <laughs> uh, when he carries her up. Puts her in his bed and then tells her that he had a bad dream. And there's that circle back to the date, which I love. I love that. I love that as well. I I, I do like when um, they explain that away. Like he, he basically is like, look, bad dream. I'm ready for you again. Yeah. My life yeah. my life has meaning. My, it has purpose. It has color. You're here again. Oh. And that was a good way to portray it. The next morning, David and Audrey are eating breakfast. Joseph comes downstairs and David shows him the newspaper with the story about the mystery hero with artwork done by Alex Ross, actually. Really? Okay. That, that drawing That's... in the newspaper is an Alex Ross drawing. I love that drawing. That's awesome. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. Uh, and he whispers, you were right, and signals for him to keep it quiet. His his face, his son's face in the scene. Oh, my God. Incredible. So good. It was emotional. It was incredible. I love that scene. It's a very defining scene for me because mm-hmm. they just have this moment. The son looks like he can barely keep it together. And yep. he, he like I was always I was wondering as I was watching again, I was like, what is the mom thinking right now? Does she hear them cry? Like crying is is this just sort of like things are still wrong? Like what's like what's happening? And yeah. so I was wondering what her thoughts on it. But maybe it makes sense after everything that's been going on with the family, with the gun and stuff like that. It might be expected. But, mm-hmm. oh, it was a great scene. It, it really, really striking uh, emotional setup there. Yeah. Back at limited edition, 
where there's a gallery showing taking place. David meets Elijah's mother, who's still fantastic. Again, another smaller part in the movie that she absolutely crushes. Oh, yeah. No, the the mom was fantastic. Just yeah. the, the Again, the doctor, the mom, two very small parts. Both were extremely well crushed by the, the actors that portrayed them. They, too bad they didn't have bigger roles because of how well they did. I would watch a spinoff. <laughs> I would absolutely watch Doctor and Mom hanging out. Like, it's just, yeah. Yeah, that's great. In the uh, back room, he meets Elijah and they shake hands, at which David has his visions of the mass tragedies that Elijah has caused in an effort to find somebody like him. And we get the villain reveal. The villain reveal in which, so I thought this was really cool, and I'm going to bring it back around to colors. One thing you've noticed about uh, Elijah the whole time is every time he's around, there's a lot of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, his purples, his bright colors when he's with uh, David's wife, there's a lot of colors between them. You could say that the wife is because David finally talked to her a little bit. Sure. Uh, but Or maybe it's because Elijah's there. And every scene, there's always something bright for Elijah. And I think this plays out in one of the last lines he says, which is, I know who I am. And I think he's always knew who he was. So he had no lack of color in his life. Oh, he always knew who he was. Yeah. So that's why he always, you see it when he's in the comic books uh, earlier in the movie, you see it again in his little private gallery. Anywhere he is, there's always nice bright colors around. The scene is full of of, of, of life and color. Yeah, when he's in the comic book shop, that's not like a muted scene compared to the rest of them. One of the least muted scenes when yep. it's just him in the comic book shop. Well, and the other guy but it's a very very bright and colorful scene which is very strange for most of the movie which Mm -hmm. was and then at the end again there's a lot of color in his gallery but then now you have two characters who both knew who they are yeah and so again full color so you thought i couldn't bring color back again but i did it (laughs) yeah and then they get the last line in the movie they called me mr glass they called me mr glass is that thing where i was like how did i not see that this entire movie (laughs) Because I didn't pick like as an as much of an avid movie watcher as I am. And as much as I pick up on so many of those signals, when I first watched this, I was like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah exactly. It threw exactly. me. And they did such a freaking good job. They did a good job building his character up with this air of mystery where you weren't really sure. Like I said, it was very psychologically ambu- ambiguous. Like, what's his motive? What you go back and forth? Is he a nice guy? Is he like, is he weird? Like. You, you couldn't really figure him out. And then at the end, you, okay, he is in fact uh, the bad guy. He is the villain who is just a little off, which mm-hmm. is traditional of villains, right? And in, in superhero. Totally. Uh, and then again, in traditional superhero fashion, at the end, when we're just at the text, we see he has been sent to a criminally insane institute. (laughs) What? Really? (laughs) Instead of a maximum security prison, we're going to a criminally insane institute? I've never heard that before in the uh, comic book or superhero world. If there's anything that I don't love about this movie, it's I've never been a fan of in movies where they do like the Animal House ending screens where they put text on the characters. Like, I'd rather they just show me really quick. I think the problem is it's 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 played out like it's yeah. been done so many times. You're like, OK, I'm over it. OK, I don't like this. Even if I even appreciate when a movie does it, but they show a corresponding scene to go mm-hmm. with the text line. So it's yes. like you see him being locked up or you see, you know, just doing the text to tell me it's like I I, I don't really get anything out of that. Yep. Like it, it never really does much for me. So I, I completely agree with that. Uh, But that's pretty much the movie. Any other thoughts we didn't get to that you had that you wanted to? 
Get in oh, there. man, I, I wrote 10 years worth of colors. So I think we got through all that. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I think it's a pretty I think it's a pretty straightforward movie, um, which is not to say it's not a, not a great movie. I think it's just it's it is straightforward. So it, it doesn't lend itself to too much depth in that sense. Uh, but no, it, I, I think uh, I think we hit most of the major themes. That's it's such a it's such a great movie. And it's like it I really highly is. recommend it to anybody I, I see anytime I bring it up and people say they haven't seen it, I'm like, how have you lived your life without seeing Unbreakable? Because yeah. it's it's been a movie I've, I've seen so many times throughout my life. It's a movie I always want to recommend to people. And then at the same time, I'm afraid to because I'm like, it's a little slow at times. It's not like this big boombastic movie. Everything it does is subtle. But if you love movies, you will love this movie. That's a good a good word for this. We've used a lot of descriptive words to describe how this movie's sort of slow. It's tepid, but subtle. It's a very subtle movie that mm. that that slowly grows into this picture, this comic book of of a, of a movie. And and I really appreciate that. But again, yeah, you're right. You have to appreciate movies to appreciate that type of pacing. Totally. So well, it's that time where uh, I'm going to ask you to, if if you don't mind, to let people know where they can find you on the internet and your stream and your social medias and all that. Oh, I spend my whole life trying to get people not to find me on the internet. <laughs> oh, no. uh, so uh, I'd say the the most uh, Im- important place to find me is over on Twitch, uh, Silence underscore Night. Um, over on Twitch, it's where I spend most of my time out in the internet world. It's where I spend ninety five percent of my time. Silence Night on Twitter as well, I suppose, if you want to go there. But that's that's basically it. I'm running streams all the time. Great. And as always, if people want to just get the links, they can go right to the show notes at thegeekgeneration.com and uh, find this episode. And you can click on all the things to follow them on all the things. Well, that's uh, that's it. We did it. Thanks so much for having me. It was a really great time. I, I, I will talk about my favorite movies with you any day. Yay. <laughs> I will make you. <laughs> you won't be making, but I appreciate it. Random Movie Club is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our podcasts and videos at thegeekgeneration.com, plus our live streams at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. Don't forget, you can support Random Movie Club by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. As always, thanks to Michael McLeod of Wolfstein Music for our theme song. A link to his site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening, and make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss Split. See you then.